Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Jim. So good to have a little bit of sense of normalcy this morning. I'm uh, grateful to be here, grateful to be considered your pastor, and I'm so grateful to be able to share God's word with you. An amazing book. And, uh, oh, thank you, brother. Thank you, sister. Um, it's amazing. It's an amazing book and uh, so powerful. It's used by God in so many different people's hearts and lives, and we had the amazing opportunity to open it up this morning and to glean some wonderful truths from it. And uh, it's a little bit of a heavy topic this morning. We're going to pick up where we left off the last time we met in this building, so I'm sure everything's real fresh in your head, right? It was just the last time we met in the building. So, wow. And John chapter 15 is where we're going to be at this morning. John chapter 15. So uh, the, the part about expository preaching is that we just go verse by verse and uh, we allow the, the scripture to dictate the theme. And this is where we happen to be here in this passage of scripture in John chapter 15 verses. I'm going to pick it, start in verse 16 this morning just to kind of get some, uh, come back a little bit and maybe jog our memory from where we left off last time all the way through the end of the chapter, and it's talking about persecution, persecution of the church. And we live in a blessed land where uh, persecution, per se, meaning we're not afraid that anyone's going to come storm in this building and hauling us off to, to jail because we've uh, decided to assemble and open up God's word. Um, so we don't suffer the persecution as such right now. Who knows what our future will be? But there's many in this world, our brothers and sisters, who suffer greatly. And uh, we should never lose sight of that. And, uh, and we don't know what holds, our, our future holds. And these, this uh, passage of scripture this morning should be, hopefully we'll walk away with encouragement, knowing that those who follow Christ will suffer persecution. But knowing that, is actually a blessing. And hopefully we'll be able to draw that out of the scriptures. That's what I've, as I've studied, that's what I've came to the conclusion that although it makes no sense to our sense of wellness, that the scriptures declare that those who suffer persecution for the name of Christ is a blessing. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. A little heavy, right? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you. We thank you, Lord, for your your just goodness and uh, your your providence, your uh, your love you've extended to us in your son Jesus, and it's because of him we come to you this morning uh, with the opportunity just to, to draw near to you and to, to glean truth from your word, Lord, and um, ultimately that your spirit would work in us and through us, Father, to draw us closer to you, to transform us into the, more into the image of Jesus this morning as your word actively works in and through us through the power of the Spirit. And that's my prayer this morning, that that would be the case, that we're not just doing church. These things are way too important. Eternal life, salvation, the meaning of life, all those things are way too important just to do church. And so, God, we just ask that you would Use this time, Lord, in spite of uh, our unworthiness, God. We stand on the worthiness of Christ, and we appeal to, to you through him 
that you would work in and through us. And we do it for, in his name's sake, amen. All right, well, let's go ahead and read the passage of Scripture this morning. Uh, we're going to start in John 15, verse 16, just to kind of garner what we've been talking about. If you remember, we were, John 14 and 15 are my two most favorite passages in, in the book of John. Well, 17, maybe right up there as well. Anyway, uh, since thus far, I should say, um, because it talks about the gifts given to us, the tremendous blessing it is to be uh, a child of God and to receive Jesus and to be born from above, to, to make, to be given a new, be a new creation in Christ. And, and with that, Jesus is in the upper room in John 14, and he begins to talk to his disciples that he knows, like, their, their, their trial of faith is coming. Jesus is going to go to the cross, and their worlds are going to be rocked. He's going to die, right? And we know the rest of the story. Praise the Lord. Three days later, he raises from the grave. He ascends. He's with amongst the people, and then he ascends. And he's at forever at the right hand of the Father. We, we know the rest of the story, but the, the disciples were still having some earthly, um, temporal understandings of what the Messiah, who the Messiah was and what he was supposed to do. And so Jesus knows. He's preparing them. Look, I'm going to leave you, but I'm going to give you these things that are going to solidify you in your trial of faith. And I thought it was pretty good timing that we were covering that just on the eve of the coronavirus uh, breaking out, that we... Although we can have trials of faith, we can find ourselves up in the middle of the night worried and afraid um, through the Spirit and through His Word that He's given us, we can be reminded that God has not left us alone to fight these trials in our own strength and power. In John 14, He talks about the beautiful, wonderful, amazing opportunity for us to pray in the name of Jesus. Through His name, we can come to the throne of God and we can bring our concerns and our prayer requests before him. And then he goes on to declare that the Spirit of God, God the Spirit, the third person of our triune God, will come and ultimately indwell the hearts of every believer. That he is our comforter. He's called the, the paracletos, the, the comforter. He comes to comfort. He, he is not, our God is not some distant deity just sitting back letting the world spin and whatever happens, happens. He is involved. He is in control. He has given his, his children these wonderful, beautiful tools, prayer, and the indwelling spirit to, that desires to, to work through us and to transform us into the image of Jesus. All these things that Jesus has given the believer. And so we're reminded of all those beautiful things. We've gone through them, and it's been wonderful. But then he closes up this teaching with this passage here in verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit, that your fruit should remain, right? He saved us. He's left us here on earth. He, we don't just automatically get translated into heaven when we believe and receive Jesus. He leaves us here. Why? So we might produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Verse 17, this is what I command you. Love one another. Right? And that's where we kind of left off the last time we were in John. Verse 18 picks up, and this is where his teachings, this turns into more of a warning. Look, I'm going to go. I'm not only going to die, and, 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 and you're gonna, your trial is going to be rocked, your faith is going to be rocked there. But then after I ascend, you will suffer persecution. Your trial of faith will continue. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. 
If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, if they kept my word, they would also keep yours. But they will go, they will do all these things to you on account and because they don't know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now they have no excuse for their sin. The one who hates me also hates my father. If I have not done the works among them, he's talking about the religious leaders of the time, the Pharisees and all those who proclaimed to, to be the leaders of the Jewish faith. If I had not done the works among them that no one else had done, has done, they would not be guilty of sin. Now that they have seen and hated me, seen in both me and my father, and hated both me and my father. I can't. I got tears in my allergy season, brother. That's all it is. My words are all blurry. All right. Now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But this happens so that the statement written in their law might be fulfilled. They hated me for no reason. And when the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You also will testify because you have have been with me from the beginning. So we have this passage of scripture where he's telling his disciples that, look, I'm giving you these beautiful, wonderful tools to be able for you to endure these trials they go about ready to happen, and, and the prayer and the power of the Spirit. Oh, and by the way, if the world, because we've seen that the, you're going to see literally at the cross, right, that the world hates Jesus, and because they hate me, they're going to hate you. You will suffer persecution. Um, and that is um, the message of, this, of Scripture. That is the reality for the, the majority, as I've mentioned, of our fellow brothers and sisters throughout the world. We had a chance to have a guy that ministered in the Middle East, um, and he said, you can always know that it's a, when someone claims Jesus and believes in Jesus, that that is a genuine confession, because more than likely it means a, the death penalty for them, right? They were in a high risk of dying because of that proclamation of Jesus. And... Uh, that is what the majority of the world is encountering. But I think this is an important message for the West because there's this terrible teaching going on that says if you have enough faith, if you name it and proclaim it and believe in all these things, talking about temporal needs in your life, that only if you have enough faith, Jesus will is the genie in the bottle and provide you whatever you need materially. That you that God has intended you to to be prosperous in this world. And it's a it's a teaching that is all throughout the West. And I don't understand how you can read passages like we just read 
and not see how it does not align with Scripture. And so we need to be on guard with those things. There are many television programs out there that open up the Word, that have slick presentations, and then they give you that junk about believing by faith. And that's only if you have enough faith. And to prove your faith, send me $1,000, and that's your seed faith. And then God will provide for you. It's junk. That's not what Scripture has declared for the believer. Scripture declared eternal life, spiritual blessings, a heavenly abode, to be face-to-face with our Lord. That's what a Christian looks forward to. And in this world, we will suffer persecution. So I just wanted to get that out. You know, normally I like to be be about what I'm about, not about what I'm against. But that is a teaching in the Christian church that I think needs to be addressed. We need to be warned and inoculated about. And we need to speak out against to those that we, our brothers and sisters, who might be in that particular persuasion, okay? In in a loving and gracious way, I might might say. All right, so we see here in verse uh, 18, I just want to kind of pick apart these passages of Scripture here to see what Jesus is is getting at. And he he opens up with a very strong word in in verse 18. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. Right? Hate is a very strong word. It's not like it, the world's going to dislike you or just set you aside. No, the, the world's going to hate you. The world's going to be angry towards you. And we see he's, he's, he's kind of telling the disciples, look, don't take it personally. Because you're a follower of me, they hate me. They hate what I'm about, so therefore they're going to hate you. And so we, right away we can take away something from us. That as much as we want to be loving and gracious to those around us, and the, God has called us to do that, we're to share our faith or we're to do it in the spirit of grace and measure and all, the, all that stuff, and that is so true. But the, 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 the reality is, is the message of the gospel, the exclusivity of the gospel, that the only way one can have eternal life is through believing and receiving Jesus Christ alone automatically, right, goes against the natural world. And it brings forth much anger. But we can take that apart and say, look, it's not, I shouldn't take it personal. I've loved them. I pray for them. I will continue to pray for them. I'll, I'll be gracious towards them and my responses to them. But they're angry not at me, but because of the gospel message. And so right away we can see that. It's not about us. Hopefully it's not about us. But it's about the message. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me. I was telling Tara that there's a song on popular radio that the kids listen to. Hate is going to hate, hate all over the place. Anyway, if you don't listen to but that song has been stuck in my head ever since I've been, <laughs> like, I can't get rid of this song out of my head. But it's a, it's a powerful word. Hate. And, and we can see it. And hopefully most of us, those that are, we consider our friends and our family, that they, they, they love us enough to, to not hate us in that regard. Some of us might have family members that actually won't have anything to do with us anymore because of the beliefs that we have. Sure, many can testify to that. But it's amazing to me how much hatred and vitriol there is toward the gospel message. There was a um, debate between um, James White and Jeff Durbin, two Christian apologists at the University of Utah, with two professors or two people at the University of Utah. 
obviously they were like the president or leaders of the, the atheist society of the, of the college, and they had a debate on, on God, the, the reality of God. And so I begin to watch that message, that debate, thinking that there was going to be an intellectual debate, right? They were going to both offer their arguments towards the why one side believed God existed versus the other side that didn't. This, this doctor, this guy at the, on staff at the University of Utah, he's, he's a brilliant man. If you look him up, Gary Clark, I believe his name is. He, he works in prosthetics, and he's brilliant. And, and he was there, and so he stands up, and the Christian guys stand up, and they provide this formal opening, you know, opening to this debate. This guy stands up, and the next thing you know, this doctor, brilliant doctor is like, taking the Bible and throwing it across the room and yelling and pacing back and forth. And it gets worse from there. His hatred towards Christianity was palpable. And I just sat there and think, and this guy thinks that God doesn't exist, and he was teasing and, and just poking at this God, this amazing God in the sky. Now, when a kid comes to me and says, I have an imaginary friend, what do I do? Oh, that's great. Maybe if you even play along. That's wonderful. Well, tell him I said hi or her I said hi. But I dismiss it as untruth, right? It's not part of reality. And that this God is just untrue and just with some mythical thing that humans have made up, then why was he so angry? Why did he have so much hatred towards this God? I, when we went to India... They kept reminding us, look, you mentioned the name of Jesus out in public. We were in the far north. There's a chance you might be thrown into prison for proselyting. Why? Why is there so much hatred? And there's answers to that that I probably can't cover all in this particular uh, sermon. But the answers that are found in Scripture, and we'll kind of touch on them this morning, but just understand this message that we have is a message that is either received and believed through the power of the Spirit or it is rejected. And this hatred that they have towards the gospel is because they are a people who do not know their God, as we will see in Scripture. They do not know God. Jesus says that. They hate me because they don't know my Father. Because they don't know their Father and they have this, they've been designed to worship something, they've created something in themselves or in their hearts or this religious system that they can express their worship, that they get to define the rules. They get to tell, say what is truth and what is not truth. And the minute a Christian walks into the room and says, no, you must turn away from all that. You must repent, receive and believe Jesus as the only way, right? Immediately goes against their, their, what they've been their whole life. And we see that the exclusivity of the gospel is the, the main reason why the world hates the message. But we know that God, the creator God, demonstrated his love. He showed his love so much that he sent his one and only son to die for us. That whosoever believes, it's a free gift for whosoever believes. How can a loving God send people to hell? A loving God has provided a way out of hell by sending his son to die for you. All you must do is repent, turn from what you have been doing and receive Jesus. Think about the, some gazillionaire 
couple gazillionaires. They, they, they're really been out of shape over this coronavirus, so they decide that they're going to give everyone in the entire world, okay, I'm going way off into Never Never Land here, right? They're going to give everyone in the entire world, they're going to pay off everybody's houses. No one's going to have a mortgage. And if you don't have a house, they're going to build you one. Every kid gets their own room. Throughout the entire world, that's what they're going to put all their money towards that. The world would, the majority of the world would say, awesome, you're an amazing guy, right? God sent his son into the world, not for temporal blessings, but for eternal salvation. And all someone has to do is receive and believe it. And instead of saying, yay, they turn in hatred and vitriol towards the message. Crazy. But that is the world we live in. It is the yet another mark of this, what a sin has caused in this world. A people who is rebellious towards their God, who have made God of their own selves. All right. So hate's a strong word. If the world hates you, in verse 18, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. So we see here that this persecution that comes, and it's not just overt, you know, prison or beatings or, or, or death, but it can also, persecution can be the things that people say about you because of your belief at the workplace. Or we'll probably never know how many um, um, promotions were passed up because of what we believe, and we were too out sharing our faith too much to the to the work to our you know self-employed. We have no idea what the persecution sometimes what the persecution is, but we should know as followers of Christ we should expect persecution. And we see that if we are of the world, if we were just about the world and seeking the things of the world, then they would love us. But we're not. We were chosen out of it. Therefore, the world hates you. Moving on in verse 20. The servant is not greater than his master. We see there in verse 20. Remember the word I spoke to you? He he's already, has already said this to his disciples in John chapter 13, right? Remember the words I spoke to you? A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep uh, they will also keep yours. So he's contrasting what's going on with these, this group of people. If, if they keep my word, if they're of me, they will keep yours because you are my disciples, You right? You're, you, I've, I've chose you to build, build the foundation of my church. And so if they keep my word, they will keep yours. But if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And that message, a servant is not greater than his master, Jesus spoke about in John 13. We'll read that. Because you call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly, since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly, I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, and a master is not greater than the one who sent him. So in John chapter 13, Jesus washes his disciples' feet, right? We, we talked, we, we, I talked about it. I was yelling up here, yelling, the creator of the universe, right? Steps in, the creator who, who 
who deserves all worship and glory and adoration and, and people bowing down at his feet. Instead, he takes a towel and begins to wash his disciples' feet to show them an example of what it means to love one another, to be self-sacrificial towards one another. And Jesus says here, a servant is not greater than his master. If the, if the master is doing it, then we should also. We should serve sacrificially for the bride that Christ loves. And Jesus demonstrated that in the foot washing and then ultimately going to the cross to die for his bride. And the same here as far as persecution is concerned. If the master endures persecution for the sake of his bride, we also should endure persecution for the sake of his bride in the gospel. And he goes on in verse 21, these things in my name, he says, that they will do all these things to you on account of my name because they don't know the one who sent me. And so he, he talks about his name. They will do these things because of, on the account of my name. And this is a great opportunity to teach what, what Jesus was talking about earlier about him praying in Jesus' name. In the, in the Middle East, in that, at that time, the name was the, the description that embodies the essential being of the person. If you say that were to say the name Jesus of Nazareth, they would see who Jesus of Nazareth, they wouldn't just be a handle, it wasn't just a name, it was, it was who he embodied, what he was all about. It talked about his character and the, and the will and the, of the person bearing it. And so when you evoke the name of Jesus in that culture, you were evoking the essential embodiment of who Jesus was. And we see this in persecution. If we evoke the embodiment of who Jesus was, creator God coming into his creation to save mankind, for uh, he is the, uh, the way that man comes to the Father except by me. By if he declares those things, those are, as followers, that is what we declare. And we, we declare the name of Jesus in, in that, and we, because of that, we suffer persecution. And why? Because they know who sent me. And we saw that in uh, John 14. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So whatever you ask in my name, John chapter 14. And so I'm going back to this to, to draw into what I opened up with, that this teaching about, look, all you have to do is declare Jesus in a, in a prayer. And whatever you ask, and as long as you put Jesus at the end of it, and you believe and have faith, you're going to receive it. But we see here through this teaching that when he said, when, I, when you ask in my name, we're declaring the embodiment of who Jesus is. We're declaring his authority. We're declaring about his will be done, not our own, as we've described. And John would go on to describe further in First John. We had that summary already. But we see here that when we say we invoke Jesus' name, it's not a magic potion or a, a spell. It is declaring who Jesus is. And we, by his name, it, we're saying we our prayer is going up and the persecution that we're going to do is because we are trying to embody the essential being and character of who Jesus is. It is praying according to Jesus' will. We will suffer for the name of Jesus because he's told us we will. And we see the reason of the hatred there at the end of verse 21. Because they do not know the one who sent me. These religious leaders who have the Old Testament practically memorized. They walk around their phylax, long phylacteries and they 
They have all these laws, right? These, these laws around the laws of Moses, so they can't even get close to violating these laws. And, and so they're super religious, but yet they have no relationship with, with God. They don't know God. It's a sad reality. Appealing to the flesh, our fleshly nature, the flesh that we're born with, is a tricky thing. The devils have a couple thousand years to figure it out. More than a couple thousand, right? Many thousand years. We, when we say appeal to the flesh, we can often say point to the, to the people that will just go out and live loosely and, you know, do all kinds of fornication and sexual immorality and say, look, they're, they're just they're, they're appeasing their flesh. But there's this other portion of appeasing the flesh that's found in religious acts where you do so much religious workings that you feel good about yourself. You form a sense of self-righteousness because of all these good things that you're doing. And so, therefore, I'm a pretty good person. It's the same thing. Appealing to our flesh. The Bible declares that our righteousness is as filthy rags in the eyes of God. The Bible declares that there is no one righteous, no, not one. We are all separated and done because of sin. There's no amount of religion and self-righteous works that we can do to change that. But there is a way. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. That all who would receive and believe him and trust in his accomplished work alone, we not only get our sin taken away, but then his righteousness is applied to our account. It's an amazing gift. And that is the only way we can be accepted by our God through Christ's righteousness alone. He says, because they do not know him. The, the reason for the hatred is because they don't know the Father. They surround, they've built their entire lives around this religious system. And here comes Jesus saying, nope, it's all in vain. You only need to believe and receive me. And it causes hatred. And division. Verse 22, if I had spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now they have for their sin. Talking about the sin of rejecting Jesus as the Messiah, Jesus as the Son of God. They have no excuse. They saw Jesus, they saw him perform those works and miracles, and there's no excuse for them to reject him. But they do. Because they desire their power and their self-righteousness over what Jesus is offering them. Verse 23, the one who hates me also hates my father. You can't have both. Same God. If you hate Jesus, you hate the father. Verse 24, if I had not done these works among them that no one else has done, it would not be sin now that they have seen and hated me and my now that they have seen and hated both me and my father but this has happened so that the statement written in their law might be fulfilled they hated me for no reason so again another messianic psalm that is fulfilled through jesus psalm 69 it's a psalm written by david i believe it's a messianic song pointing to the messiah and jesus fulfills yet another uh, uh, old testament prophecy they hated me for no reason psalm 69 
And so what's our takeaway this morning? 11.30, so I guess I should wrap it up, huh? It's so nice to have interaction, like see people, facial expressions and people nodding. It's or not falling asleep nodding. <laughs> Praying for me, I know, right? So good. Oh, so good. So what's our takeaway? I know it's a heavy topic, and I'm just trying to be faithful to what I see in Scripture. But we have a takeaway. We can should be able to take this, what Jesus is saying about persecution, and apply it to our lives. And I think the takeaway can be found at the end of John uh, 15 and also what Jesus speaks about in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. When he opens up the Sermon on the Mount, he begins to declare what the kingdom of heaven is all, uh, is like, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, These all these these juxtaposed things that what this world says we need to be successful in the kingdom. No, we need to be poor in spirit. We need to be humble. We need to, these are the things that God's people should have. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. And then verse 10, curveball, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. He goes on in verse 11, you are blessed when they insult you. See, persecution comes in many forms. And persecute you. And falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Jesus says we should be blessed. Blessed are you if you suffer persecution for my name's sake. So what's our takeaway this morning? Well, in the kingdom of God, what seems to be a bad thing becomes actually a blessing. From the words of our Savior himself, blessed are they who are persecuted for his name's sake. That's our takeaway this morning. We don't know what's to come, but as it's, and I'm not, I mean, I know what's going to happen in the future, but as the, things, the, the way that things are trending, right, I think we're going to probably suffer more persecution in the days to come. But we need to cling to the word. And just as much as we cling to the promise of salvation found in Jesus alone, we need to cling to the understanding that when persecution does come, it's don't take it personal. It's not on us. Because the message that we have, there will be some that will hate you for it. There will some that will receive and believe Jesus. And the beautiful part about it is it's not us. It's the power of the Spirit doing it inside of us. And that's how John closes verse 26 back in John 15. When the Counselor comes, the one I will send from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. So when you're testifying to someone and you're empowered by the Spirit of God, guess what? God the Spirit working through you. When you're persecuted, it's God the Spirit that's going to help you and to endure that persecution. It's the gift of God the Spirit and dwelling in the hearts of the believers that can make the blessings of persecution actually a reality in a believer's life. It's not going to be because of our own willpower. If that's the case, I'm certainly not going to be doing very well. 
It needs to be the power of the Spirit. You will te- the Spirit will testify about me, and you will also testify because you have been with me from the beginning. The power of the Spirit is only through him. In uh, Acts, there's a beautiful demonstration of that. In Acts chapter 4, so the church of Jerusalem, thousands upon thousands were saved through Peter's preaching, right? And then they started just hanging around. So what does God do to cause the church to jet out from Jerusalem and begin to share the gospel message to the other parts of the world? How does he allow, cause the church of Jerusalem to go out? According to Acts chapter 4 and 5, he sends persecution. And we see how the power of the Spirit is really God the Spirit doing it inside of the hearts of the believers is, is the means. It's not us, right? We need to yield to, 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 the, to the Spirit inside of us. And so uh, in Acts chapter 4, 8 through 12, Peter and John are proclaiming Jesus in Acts chapter 4 in Jerusalem. They say 5,000 men got saved. And again, the Jewish, the religious leaders did not like what was this was happening because all these, <laughs> right, former Jewish people are being converted to Christianity, to the ways of, to the children of the ways of Jesus. And so they throw John and Peter in prison. And they're suffering persecution yet again. And they come and are before the tribunal the next day. And you got to put yourself in that place, right? You're out preaching Jesus. You see thousands get saved. That's amazing. But all of a sudden, the authorities haul you off to jail because of it. Where are your, where's your heart going to be? Well, through the power of the Spirit, this is what Peter happened with Peter. Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit in verse 8 and said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about the good deed we have done to a disabled man, and by what means he was healed, let it be known to all to, and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, by his name, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you. And this Jesus is the stone rejected by you, builders, which has become the cornerstone. And he says this, salvation and no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. He had a chance to soften up the message to get out of his persecution. He had the chance to water it down a little bit, make it a little more palatable. But instead, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he declares the exclusivity of the gospel. Salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone. And it is only through the power of the Spirit that we can do the same. I think of John Huss, who played a large role in why we have the English Bible, German reformer. He was burned at the stake, and as he was at the stake, he was singing a psalm, singing hymns, only through the power of the Spirit, in my opinion. I think of uh, Madison forget her last name, forgive me, who was a teenage girl in Columbine. She had a gun pointed to her head and asked Jesus to believe in God. And her answer was yes, through the power of the Spirit. Only through the power of the Spirit. Think of Jim Elliott and his wife Elizabeth who went into the Ecuadorian village uh, uh, of a native people in Ecuador and um, him and four others, other men were 
trying to reach them with the gospel, and they were, they were martyred. That tribe killed them. Ten years later, Elizabeth goes back into that same village. And God used Esther, bringing many to the Lord in that same tribe. How can a wife go back into the village of the tribe that killed her husband through the power of the Spirit? And the persecution that will come, the good news, the takeaway this morning, is it is only through the power of the Spirit that we will endure and God will be glorified in it. Blessed are those who suffer persecution. Let's pray. God, we love you and are thankful for this opportunity to open up your word and to see your beautiful, matchless grace. And uh, we're just thankful, God, to 